Is the bigger win for this to be solved by me with the best idea? Or is a bigger win for this to be solved by them for an idea that's probably good enough, even if it's not quite as brilliant as my idea? Now, you know, there are moments where you solving it fast with a brilliant idea is the right act. Yeah. Not as often as you think. Uh-huh. And if you went on the assumption that your role as a leader is not to be the person who gives the fast wrong answer, but to be the person who has the discipline to find the real challenge to be working on, then everything changes. Hello, fellow leaders, and welcome to the Military Leader Podcast, bringing you conversations with today's most successful leaders. I am Andrew Stedman, and thank you for checking out the podcast today. You can find this episode and many others, including a video of today's interview at themilitaryleader.com. But before we get into the conversation, I'd like you to think back to this week and try to remember how many times you offered advice to your team. Maybe it was in a meeting or a counseling session or a quick chat in the hall. Perhaps someone posed a question or presented a problem, or maybe you jumped into a topic you're passionate about and offered your opinion and recommendation. As you reflect, let me ask you a challenging question. In those instances, did you hesitate at all to give your advice? Did you stop for a moment to be curious about the other person's opinion on the matter? If not, don't worry, we all do it. Today's guest calls that your advice monster. In his latest book, The Advice Trap, explains how leaders can create powerful connections if we can simply jump to advice giving a little bit more slowly and stay curious just a little bit longer. Michael Bungay Stanier is an innovative thinker in the world of leadership and coaching and is best known for his 2016 book, The Coaching Habit, which has sold more than 700,000 copies and is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. In The Coaching Habit, Michael presents seven powerful questions leaders can use to create meaningful conversations and become more coach-like leaders. Michael was gracious to take time away from his book launch and his preparation to speak at TEDx this month, and I'm very excited to share this conversation with you. I know it'll be powerful. Here's my conversation with Michael Bungay-Stanier. Hello, fellow leaders, and welcome to the Military Leader Podcast. I am Andrew Stedman, and I'm honored and excited to welcome to the podcast an author whose work had an immediate and game-changing impact on the way I lead, coach, and engage with teams. Michael Bungay Stanier is the author of several books, including Do More Great Work and The Coaching Habit, which is a Wall Street Journal bestseller and has sold over 700,000 copies, I think you're at now. Uh, Michael's forthcoming book is The Advice Trap, Be Humble, Stay Curious, and Change the Way You Lead Forever, and it's available on Amazon for pre-order and released at the end of this month. Uh, Michael is a respected coach, speaker, podcast producer, a perpetual student, and CEO of the company he founded, Box of Crayons. Uh, And the seven-question framework uh, he offers in The Coaching Habit is the most profound yet easiest method I've ever seen to connect with and to coach team members. So, Michael, welcome. I am delighted to have you on the Military Leader Podcast. You know, it's been fantastic. I mean, I know because I've seen your Twitter handle pop up over the years and you've kind of been a flag-waving, drum-hitting thing for me. And I'm like, ah, so cool. And we were saying before we hit the um, the go button, like I don't have a whole lot of direct access to the military other than my dad in Australia uh, worked in a civilian capacity for the Australian Air Force. 
buying the F-18 for our Air Force. So I've kind of got a connection. So I'm glad to finally have this conversation with you. So thank you for the nice welcome. Absolutely, Michael. And I think it's important that the coaching mindset uh, gets you know exposed to military audiences because um, we uh, you know, we tend to think of uh, what you would call coaching as mentoring or counseling, you know, the, mm-hmm. the performance feedback sessions we really call counseling. And so it, there's a lot of discussion about how to get to the important topics and how to give feedback and receive uh, input, um, you know, in a meaningful, you know, in a meaningful right. way. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, hierarchy is more explicit rather than less explicit in the military. And, you know, most of my experiences in the organizational world and corporate world and hierarchy is there as well. And in some ways, having the hierarchy so clearly delineated as it is in the military, which is like, you know, you've got an extra stripe or a star or something. So I just know you're the next level up or next level down. At least that makes the power relationship clear. And then you're like choosing to go, how do we work within that? How do I choose to lead? in a way that engages and empowers the people around me. And sometimes actually it's a, it's slipperier in organizational life because there's this kind of, the, the, there's this muffling of the power lines or there's a kind of pretense that they don't actually exist. And in some ways it's more duplicitous <laughs> in organizational life because it's just not that, that mapping and clarity about where, where do we stand because once you know where you stand, you can choose how you show up as a leader and somebody who's being led. Oh, right, right. That's a that's a great point. I didn't think of that as maybe being an advantage of the military hierarchy. Is it? It almost provides boundaries where you know you can operate in. You know. Yeah, um, I mean, I, uh, you know, um, one of the people I'm connected with is Marshall Goldsmith, and he tells a story of being summoned in and working with uh, admirals as part of the U.S. military. And just them having this moment of understanding to say, anytime an admiral raises his or her eyebrow slightly to the left, it, that, that ripples down through the, the chain of command. Mm-hmm. And an admiral going, I've just got to be really careful what I say because everything I say is in order. Uh-huh. So at least you've got that explicitness around, you know, if you've got leaders who have that degree of emotional awareness to go, all right, so what do I shift then? You know, how do I lead in a way that empowers rather than just creates people dependent on my insight and my wisdom and my best guess and what's needed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're, you're seen as the, all, the rank almost equates to an all knowingness of experience of knowledge. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, yeah. like just, it's like turning up the dimmer in a room, which is like you're just getting even more omniscient as you become more and more senior. And you're like, ah, exactly. that's not, not always the way it works. Which can be, which can honestly be uh, daunting in some ways. Because I, for example, I, I was fortunate to command um, a battalion up in, in Washington State. <clears throat> it was a battalion of 700 soldiers. And, you know, I've never led an organization of 700. I mean, my, my previous, you know, command before that was as a company commander to 150 or so. And so you step into this role and everyone's looking at you and they're saying, you have all the answers, right, sir? Like in part, tell us exactly what to do. And it's intimidating. It can be a vulnerable moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that weight of, of feeling like I need to have all the answers or I need to be responsible for everybody's lives or I need to be in control of everything all the time is exhausting and impossible. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're lucky, the the more senior you get and the older you get, you actually start realizing how little it is that you know. <laughs> so you peak in all knowledge around mid twenties, where you're like, I know pretty much everything, and then the more the older you get, you're like, wow, I really, I oh, I don't know much, and what I do know is probably wrong. Uh-huh. So you're like, right, how right. do I be smart when I start realizing the limitations of my experience and of my wisdom? Yeah. And how do I choose to? Um, step into a place that feels more vulnerable because it is more vulnerable. You're kind of opening yourself to say, I don't, I don't always know. Mm-hmm. But for the bigger win of being a more effective leader on your side and having people that you're leading that are more engaged and more empowered and more autonomous and more confident and more competent, mm-hmm. which is what any leader wants no matter what the setting. Right, exactly. Yeah, we're all looking for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, speaking of vulnerable moments, perhaps pressure moments, you're going to get to talk at TEDx Nevada here at the end of the month. Exactly. How, how do you feel about how's the prep going? This is a big moment. You know, so I, I, I've spent a reasonable amount of time on stages in front of audiences, and I actually love it. And I'm pretty good at it because mm-hmm. I've got this longing secretly to be a stand up comedian. So I get out there and I try and make people laugh, and I'm. No, it works most of the time. And I've spoken to big crowds, you know, eight or 10,000 people. So when I got picked to do this TEDx talk, I was like, that's cool. I'm going to crush it. This is going to be it. This is the breakthrough that's going to make all the difference. Right. But they're like, okay, so here's what we need from you. Two and a half months out, we need your script, your final script. I'm like, what? what's a script? <laughs> I don't know what a script is. I wing it usually. Yeah, I've got a... I've got an approximate journey ahead of me where I'm like, I need to hit that milestone and that thing there and mention this, but I'm kind of in the moment reacting to the crowd, interacting Mm -hmm. script. I don't know what that is. And they're like, okay, so I wrote a script and then two weeks ago. So this is um, six weeks out from giving the talk. They're like, all right, show us that you've memorized your script. I'm like, what? (laughs) I have to memorize a script. Oh, so like I can feel it's only it's only thirteen minutes long, so it's not uh-huh. it's not like I'm performing Hamlet here. Uh-huh. There's a degree of pressure here. So anyway, uh, last week, uh, my company Box of Crayons uh, moved into its first ever headquarters. We've oh. been a dispersed company until then, and we we decided oh, to move. Congratulations! Well, thank you. Yeah. And it's actually coinciding with um, me stepping away from the CEO role. And handing that over to, to somebody else. So there's all sorts of interesting changes going on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought, perfect. I, you know, now I have to actually learn a script. I will, um, I'll perform it in front of the box of crayons people and get their feedback. And and honestly, I've been sweating this. So every every morning, I you know, it's a mile to my gym and I walk there. Mm-hmm. So I rehearse it on the way up at six a.m. Mm-hmm. or five quarter to six. And you can just see people walking the dog, looking at me, going, "What? <laughs> Who is this guy walking along, gesticulating at right. 5:45?" And I say it on the way back. So I'm like, "I think I've got it in my bones." Anyway, I show up in front of all these people I know and love, and I and I forget my lines twice. Oh no! Um, and so part of me is like, "Oh, this man. is your crowd. These are your people. This is my crowd, exactly." And I'm like. And I don't think I've ever really had the moment where I've forgotten my lines. It's been a long time anyway. So, so anyway, I've got a, I've got a month. I'm, I'm back on the horse. I'm practicing my things. I'm trying to work on the stagecraft because there's a, a great quote from, actually, I can't remember his name, but it used to be a, a justice in the American Supreme Court. He said, mm-hmm. look, I don't care for simplicity on this side of complexity, I'd give anything for simplicity on the other side of complexity. And 
the feedback I get about the coaching habit, and you said it before, which is like it's simple but profound, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that actually comes from having worked it and worked it and worked it till it's kind of gone through the process and the fire of burning out the excess. Right. And it's now simple but robust. And there's a similar process for learning the script, which is to say you need to know your script, but you've got to know it to, to such an extent that you've, you've unlearned it. And now you're present. You know you're performing the script rather than reciting the script. Okay, because that's your first step. After you've got it in your head, you're like, you can you're kind of reading it in your own head. You can, you, and you've seen people do this. Like they've memorized it, but they're kind of like, it's as if they're reading a teleprompter, but it's inside their eyes rather right, than right, right. You've got to get beyond. I've got to get beyond the recitation into the performance. So I've been watching. You know, stand-up comedians and going, how do you use the stage? What's the stagecraft? What's the physicality? How do you make this a compelling experience mm -hmm. beyond just the words? Mm -hmm. Wow. So just out of my my curiosity here, how did you shape the con the what you would put into the talk? Because you want to bring in some of your work. You're going to talk about the questions maybe. You want to, yeah. you know, only just in a little bundle here. So how do you decide what goes in? So... The secret, I think, with a, with a good book and with a good TED Talk is there's one idea cleanly expressed. Okay. And where you can get seduced into going wrong is by adding value, mm -hmm. by cramming in additional stuff. Let mm -hmm. me tell you about the thing. And let me tell you about the other thing. And here's another idea. And here's another good model. And here's mm -hmm. the seven steps. And here's the piece. Whereas if you have a really beautiful, clean arc, you take people on a journey, they have a few things to remember. Mm -hmm. And um, and what that means is just this kind of ruthless editing process. Mm -hmm. So I wrote what I thought was this really simple script and then cut about half of it. <laughs> and even just the other day, I went through a rehearsal of it and realized I had kind of two competing metaphors. So I had to drop one of the metaphors. Okay. Um, and I'm kind of doubling down on this idea of how to tame your advice monster, you know, which I talk mm -hmm. about a bit in the coaching habit book. And it's a metaphor I know people like mm -hmm. and they get, yeah. you know, because there's that moment where somebody starts talking to you and this must happen even, even kind of more viscerally in the military. You know, as soon as somebody starts telling you the problem, your advice monster comes up out of the dark yeah, you know, yeah. wearing camo going, Oh no, I'm going to add some value to this conversation because I'm the level up from you. So let me explain from my rank exactly what needs to be done here. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, it's an important thing to remember that in all of these conversations, we're not saying never give another order again or never give advice that that would be ridiculous. But it's like the, the, the goal, I think, is can you stay curious a little bit longer? Mm -hmm. Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? Mm -hmm. So slowing it down a bit. Mm -hmm. To do that, you've got to tame your advice monster. So you're right. It's a bit of a blend from the Coaching Habit book, and it's a bit mm -hmm. of a blend from some of the new ideas in the new book as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to see how it goes. If you yeah. never see the talk, it's because it went really badly and they just like, well, yeah, we're not, we're not going to post that. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. I we can't wait to see it. I wish I could see it in person. That would, that would be amazing. Yeah. Well, so, it's not that far away from you. It's like, I, I know, you know what, you know, we have a, uh, so here at the, where, where I'm at now at the national training center, we have, we're in a pretty predictable schedule. In fact, uh, it's one of the few places in the military that is a predictable schedule. Um, but we know two years out what our what the rotation schedule is going to be. And yeah. so you have your blocks of 
off time in between when units are here to train. And so you schedule those way out. And so my family and I actually have a, um, we have a, a cabin over in Coronado reserved for that weekend. So oh. I'm going the other way. If I were going uh, to the East, but you better believe I'd be, I'd, I'd figure out a way to be there. Another time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, good. Well, I mean, I can't wait to, uh, can't, can't wait to see it. I know you're going to, you're going to nail it. It's going to be amazing even without competing metaphors. <laughs> Exactly. So, so you've spent your, you know, your entire career focused on coaching uh, and, you know, making leaders more coach-like, which I think is a beautiful way to phrase it. It, it takes the pressure off of being a coach, you know. Exactly. That's um, a insight. Because honestly, yeah. and sorry to interrupt your question, yeah, yeah. But you, you say to most people, I want you to be a coach. And they're like, that is not what I signed up for. Right. I, I signed up to be this role or try and do this thing. And I've met coaches, and I'll see most of them are a nightmare. I don't want to be like that. Don't turn me into something I don't want to be. And I'm right. like, no, this isn't about a new profession or a new label for you. It's a leadership skill, being more coach-like. It's changing mm-hmm. it from a title to a behavior. And so I love that you picked up on that. Yeah, perfect. yeah, absolutely. And it, t- it takes away some of the intimidation around it, really. Yeah. Um, it, you know, in the military, we use the term uh, mentoring and counseling uh, to, to to signify those deeper conversations that you have maybe with a, a peer or a subordinate where you maybe you have to talk about uh, performance and you have to give feedback. But but also there's this idea that a, that a leader coined uh, decades ago called under the oak tree counseling. And it's really just this taking you out to the oak tree, sitting down and having really a you know, yeah. person-to-person conversation, um, which I think starts to get into the, the coaching, um, yeah. you know, kind of coaching relationship there. Um, you know, but so much of that really revolves around the idea of the, of the drama triangle, uh, which you highlight in the coaching habit. Um, and uh, so how, what, what is, how is the drama triangle a foundation for where coaches can start? You know? Yeah, I, I would pull us back to say the bigger, the bigger work I'm trying to do is in some ways to unweird coaching because mm-hmm. it comes with a whole bunch of baggage, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. whether it's from the sports world or from life coaching or executive coaching, it doesn't really matter. It just comes with baggage. And it mm-hmm. was like, yeah, I've heard of coaching. I'm not totally sure what it is. And I'm like, it is just an everyday way of showing up to other people. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be in a hierarchical relationship. You can do this with your peers, your boss, your kids, your spouse, anybody. Uh-huh. And you're like, how do I show up in a way that leads with curiosity? So it doesn't even have to be a kind of big under the oak tree conversation where we're like, let's go deeper in your life, although it works really well there. Mm-hmm. And it was it was having those types of conversations that made me go, I need to know how to do this better because I'm a pretty good listener, but I'm flailing around. I'm like, am I being helpful? Am I not being helpful? It's, it's anything. You know, like you call me up and go, man, you know, I, I love doing my podcast, but I'm, it's, I'm struggling a bit trying to get – the listeners up and you know, I've run a podcast in my time and mm. I follow podcasts because it's part of my world. So there's one part of me goes, Oh, I've got a bunch of solutions and ideas and suggestions and tactics that I could offer to you. But instead I go, yeah, I get it. Podcast is hard, Drew. What do you think the real challenge is here for you? Mm. And you're like, Oh, well the real challenge is the, the Listeners, I'm like, yeah, I totally get that. What else is hard about it for you? And you're like, oh, well, honestly, the tech is difficult as well because I'm in a little room and I don't have the good acoustics that I'd like to have. I'm like, cool, what else? And you're like, you know, the hardest thing is finding the really good guests. I mean, honestly, 
after that conversation with Michael, it was all downhill from there. Nobody's there. We peaked then. <laughs> and I'm like, great, so those are real things. What of those three, because they're different and they're all real, which feels like the real challenge for you? And you're like, yeah, it's the audience. I've got to find a way of doubling my audience. How do I do that? Like, So I haven't had an oak tree conversation with you. I've had a practical conversation mm-hmm. about solving a real, in the moment, day, daily, quotidian, not big and strategic issue. It's just like, here's a thing. And I'm like, rather than me rushing in to give advice, I've just been curious a bit longer. And I'll go, right, growing your audience. I get it. What ideas do you already have? Because I know you've thought about it. I bet you have at least one idea. And you're like, I do. It's like I'm going to go and find the eight other military-based podcasts in the world and go, how do we do a a collaboration together? I'm like, brilliant. What else could you do? And you're like, you know what? I actually have a great relation. I have embarrassing photographs of nine of the brigadier generals, and I'm going to blackmail them into promoting my podcast. And I'm like, it's risky, but go for it. I mean, why not? Do not like, endorse that on this podcast. <laughs> and I go, what else could you do? And you're like, right. you know what? I'm going to do a podcast tour. I'm going to go around every military base, and I'm going to interview people in front of a live audience. And it's going to be the live military leader podcast tour. Like, These are fantastic. Uh-huh. You know what? I've got some ideas as well. And see, I get to offer up my ideas. But just later, and after you've mm. already had your ideas and you've kind of figured some stuff out, and you walk away going, God, that was cool. He got, I got clear on what my real challenge was. He actually values my own ideas, and I actually had ideas I didn't even realize I had. Uh-huh. And I got a little bit of support and some ideas and encouragement from him as well. Yeah. And it all happened in four minutes. Which is, and, it, and it's amazing because it's founded on the belief, the leader's belief that the followers got it in them or her, right? Yeah. It's, or at it's, least, got got, at least got some of it, or at least let's see what they've got in them yeah. before I jump in and fix it. Because if I, if you come to me and I go, and you go, how do I, how do I repair an HP thirty-seven two printer? And I'm like, well, what do you think the real challenge is? And you're like, well, my printer is broken, and I technically don't know how to do it. There's, there's no, there's no there for me to tap. You're like, I just don't know, and I'm like, oh, well, I can help you because I've got the technical knowledge around that. Mm-hmm. But it's it. So they don't always have it in them, but so much more than people realize. <laughs> and why wouldn't you just give it a minute to see how far they can go by themselves? Everybody wins. Yeah. You work less hard. You take on less responsibility. Mm-hmm. They feel smarter and more recognized and more welcomed and more encouraged and more confident. I mean, it's just everybody wins from this conversation and it can do it fast and you can do it in an unweird way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. What you said there, I think, um, strikes to a dynamic in the military that we have in that we coach and develop two levels down. Right. So so right. a colonel coaches a captain, uh, captain coaches, uh, you know, um, you know, two levels below. And so there's this idea that that is my that is my teacher. I'm, I must re- I'm going to receive all information from this person. They're the end all be all. Um, and if we go in, it, it can set up almost a teacher student relationship. But you're not just students. They're bringing some things to the table that they can work through and solve on their own. Um, And so breaking through that dynamic, even that we have, I think is an important part of coaching here. Why why would you limit your teachers and your teaching just to people who are two ranks below you? I mean, it's not to say that there's not a, that's not a really helpful hierarchy or, or way of structuring it because it does say, you know, rather than just working with the people who report directly to you, you have a longer reach than that and a greater responsibility and it gives permission if you're more junior to look beyond just the person who's leading you to the person like that. So there's something very powerful about permission, permission there. Mm-hmm. It's like, look, 
anybody. You can ask a question of anybody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're, um, what you said about, uh, teaching and knowing where right. the, 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 the follower, the subordinates, that's, I think that's key. One, one, er- one area that I, um, I know I wrote a little bit to you about is, is a, an approach that we, that we use here based uh, partly on your, um, you know, on, on what you say in the coaching habit is that when we are over, we're observing and we're giving feedback to units that are training here, um, there is a tendency to come in with, you've done this wrong, you messed this up, uh, you know you're you know you're missing this opportunity, right? And so what we've tried to do is start with your your first question, what's on your mind, just to yeah. see where they're at, to see what space yeah. they're in, right? And then and then we follow that with what's going right, um, in order to bring out the positive because it, this can be yeah. a terribly negative experience here. I mean, as I look out the window, it's fifty mile an hour gusts in the desert, and there's dust blowing and all that. And um, so so we ask what's going right, and then we ask um, what, what what are you working on? What what's maybe not going right? what challenges you have. And so by doing that, we kind of get a framework of what they're seeing, what they're not seeing. And then we can coach into those gaps, you know, just like you said. I love Um, it. And, uh, you know, there's good, there's good research that says not always, but often a more powerful approach to change is to amplify what's working well, Mm -hmm. rather than to obsess about what's not working well. Sure. Where you're like, if you can, if you can do more of that good stuff, it's going to fill up and you will get a bigger win from more of that rather than eliminating the negative. Not always, obviously, but there's a way of framing around that. Yeah. And we, I, I, I took us down a whole different pathway and I haven't touched on the drama triangle. Do you want me to go back to that? I think, I think it'd be powerful to hear your perspective on it uh, because it'll set a framework, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, some people have heard of the drama triangle. Most people haven't. Um, it has its roots in kind of, I think, the 1960s or 70s, something called transactional analysis, mm-hmm. which nobody's ever heard of, but you might have heard some of the, the jargon around it because it's what gives us parent-child relationships and adult-to-adult relationships. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting, but it's a bit theoretical and not, it doesn't survive the, the harsh daylight of reality because you can't really go up to your, your you know, major whoever and go i feel like we have a parent-child relationship that's that's <laughs> that doesn't work in organizational life either right, like it's right. not working right so stephen Kaufman, who was a student of the the creator and the founder of transactional analysis um, and he's still alive he's still based out on the west coast somewhere he kind of came up with a model that draws on ta but kind of presents it in a way that feels more practical and more recognizable and he says this, look, when things go off the rails, when relationships kind of go slightly south, and they always do, every relationship does, three different roles play out. Um, and these are roles that you play in that moment where you're, kind of, let's call it, triggered to behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. The three roles, you will recognize them immediately. There's the victim, there's the persecutor, and there's the rescuer. So when I'm teaching this, Drew, you go, okay, so – what do you think somebody who's playing the victim role looks like? And everybody knows immediately. They're like, yeah, I'm trying not to look at them because I'm standing next to them right now. They're the whiny, complaining, it's not fair, it's their fault, it's not my fault, what can you do? You have to recognize that there are wins you get from playing that role, which is like you get people trying to look after you, you get to wash your hands of the situation and say, oh, it's it's not my fault, I didn't have anything to do with it. But 
this role and all three of the roles, you, you pay a price. Mm-hmm. And uh, the price you pay is a kind of deep sense of disempowerment, a deep sense of stuckness, and the fact that you've irritated everybody around you because you're the whiny victim uh-huh, person right. you know, when right. you're playing that role. The second role is the persecutor role. Some people call it the prosecutor role, boils down to the same basic thing. And if I go, what do you think a persecutor looks like? You're like, oh, funnily enough, I, you know, I have that person leading my unit right now. You know, they're the shouty, finger-waggling, authoritarian, my way over highway, I'm right, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And you play this role as well. And it, it can be great in the moment because you feel better than the other person, morally superior, you get to shout at them. Uh, you get to be, you know, it's like, I'm okay, you're not okay. Uh-huh. But there's a price you pay when you're playing the persecutor role, which is uh, not only not only kind of basically when the whipping stops, everybody goes home. So nobody's going to go the extra yards for you. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. sense of that kind of collective shared responsibility. They're like, no, it's like, no, you're isolated because nobody because you shoot the messenger, so mm-hmm. nobody's going to be the messenger. Mm-hmm. And actually, you're overwhelmed because you don't trust anybody. You end up doing other people's work and reworking for them and so micromanaging them. Mm-hmm. And then the third role is the rescuer, which that label sounds slightly better than the other two, but you have to understand it's just as screwed up as the first two. And the rescuer is all about the leap in, jump in, fix it, solve it, don't fight, I'll take it on, I'll make it better, It's the, give it to me. The, the martyr, right? I got it's this. The martyr, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's an advantage to playing that role, which is like you feel useful and you've mm-hmm. got, it's actually quite subtly controlling because you've got your fingers in all these different pies. Mm-hmm. But the price you pay is it's exhausting, it's frustrating, you, you, you're constantly trying to rescue other people and do their work for them, you never get to your own. And what's more, rescuers create victims and rescuers create persecutors. So you really perpetuate this drama triangle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you can play all three of these roles. Even in a single conversation, you can bounce around all through this role. So you're not, inher- you're not inherently a rescuer or a victim. It depends on context. But you, almost everybody listening will recognize their favorite role to play. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's, it's different in the military, but most people self-identify as rescuers, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I always go, you know what? That's a classic act of a victim. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> People's right. heads explode when you tell them that. Yeah, yeah. Um, to translate it, actually, for our audience, just as yeah. I was thinking about this, um, we play the victim role many times when we think about all of the things that trickle down from higher echelons that we have yeah. to do. We call them taskings or... Uh, you know, it's something outside of what you want to be doing to train your team. It's like, right. oh, the boss tells me I have to do this. And so we do play the victim role. Uh, it's a strong narrative across the force. It really yeah, is. I, I, truthfully, as it is across every organization ever. I mean, I've worked in plenty of organizations where they look at, you know, the headquarters and they call it the Death Star. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, what's, you know, what random BS are we getting from the Death Star today? Right. Just like disconnected from you know, everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, you get to play all three of these roles, but you'll have a favorite one that you'll play. Mm-hmm. And his, it doesn't matter which one you play, really. All you need to know is that when you are in the drama triangle, you're doing yourself no favors and you're doing those around you no favors because mm-hmm. you are in a reactive mode. And a best version of yourself is not stepping forward. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, because this is a self-management tool, you're like, how do I get the best version of me to show up? How do I spend less time being 
a victim or a persecutor or a rescuer. And one of the key ways of getting out of the drama triangle is curiosity, is this ability to actually ask questions because mm -hmm. you stay curious longer, you get sucked into the drama more slowly. Eventually you'll get into the drama triangle because it always happens. It's part of being a human, which is like at some stage you'll get back into the drama triangle. But once you see this model, you start seeing it showing up everywhere. You see it with your commander and you see it with the people that you're leading and mm -hmm. you see it with your spouse and you mm -hmm. see it with your cat and you see it with actually, it's not even just with people. It's like you see it with the situation. Uh -huh. You've been given a situation to complete and you're like, that's showing up as a persecutor and I'm kind of in whiny victim mode around it. So right, right. you're like, how do I, how do I want to show up? How do I choose to show up? And then things can shift. Uh -huh. So it's important to understand uh, or to be intentional about how you show up, right? To identify and then decide how you're going to be present. Is that yeah, which of course is easy to say on a podcast <laughs> and really hard to right. do yeah. in reality. And in some ways, this is what comes down to the sense of one of the things you do as a leader to be most effective is to be self-aware and to see yourself react and we'll see, your, see, see the impact on the situation on you and then seeing if you can just slow down your reaction so that it becomes a choice rather than just a habit or just mm -hmm. a default response. Mm -hmm. And it kind of takes you back to why in so many organizational narratives, things like a mindfulness is actually helpful because with mindfulness, you know, strip away the kind of the woo-woo meditation, is this Buddhism or something else? It's actually just being able to see reality better and see your place in reality better and therefore being slightly less reactive to what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, and you, we mentioned, you talked advice a little bit, a little bit earlier and how the, the advice monster is just alive and well within all of us. And in fact, your next book is the advice trap, yeah. um, you know, which is coming out here at the end of the month. Um, how have you taken, um, the coaching habit and the, and, and made the advice, advice trap an extension of that, uh, to build yeah. upon it? I, you know, honestly, I've just, I've just put a different cover on the same book. The last book went so well. I've just done I did, I did go, okay, I'm going I'm to make this related but different. Here's what I found, Drew. You um, are in, I would say, a sizable minority of people who read The Coaching Habit who went, this is a good book, I like it. Man, these questions are powerful. I'm going to start using them and practicing them. And you incorporated them into the way that you lead and that you teach and that you live your life. And you're like, I can see a difference. And it's made a difference for you. And honestly, these stories are so awesome for me to hear. It's thrilling as a, as a teacher and a writer to, to know that that's happening. I also know there are people in this world who read The Coaching Habit. Some of them hated it. I mean, in this Sonny, new book. Sonny Davis, I saw his one star. Sonny Davis, exactly. It's just like, this is the worst book ever written. I'm like, I really want to meet Sonny Davis because I'm like, how many other books have you read? Because... I get you don't like the coaching habit, but is, is it really the worst book ever written? Come it may have been his, anyway, his only book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's right. Anyway, um, the, the, there's a, a, a group of people who went, look, I like the book. I like the seven questions. I get the importance of can I stay curious just a little bit longer? And I find it really hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult 
for me to shift out of old patterns of behavior where I just, I give the orders, I give the advice, I show up with the solution because I've had a lifetime's training to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, the military sets you up, I think, to go part of the way you add value is you you give the command, you have the advice, you, you offer the suggestion. But it's also just true in life. You know, you pass the tests, you be the kid getting the A, you start your career and you're like, I need subject matter expertise. So you learn your, your technical field, whatever that might mm -hmm. be. What this book does is it just acknowledges that for some of us, this shift in behavior is hard. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways we open up in the book is we talk about the difference between easy change and hard change. And this is a useful and I, I personally, I think quite profound understanding of change. And it, it, I think it'll be a relief for people. If anybody has ever set a New Year's resolution and it's been the same one as the last five years and you're like, what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Now, why can't I do this thing that I actually want to do? Right. You know, right. why, is that, why, do, why do I keep being tripped up on that? Well, it's like because it's hard change, not easy change. Mm -hmm. Easy change you do all the time. You know, you, you get a new phone or a new piece of equipment or something changes in your situation and you figure it out and you navigate around it and you practice it and you master it and you get as good as you need to get and you're like, great, I'm sorted. That, that, we're, we're adapted that. We don't even really think about it as change so much. You're just like adapting to what's in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, to use a metaphor, I think it's a bit like downloading a new app on your phone. You're just, you're kind of just, you're tacking on a little bit more to what's already there. Mm -hmm. Hard change is actually when you realize that the app thing isn't working for you, you need a new operating system. Easy change is when you're adding to current you. Hard change is when you've set an aspiration for future you, a better version of you okay. at the next iteration of who you can be. Okay. And you need to rewire yourself. You need to change the way you behave and change the way you think, which profoundly means that you have to say no to some old, familiar, comfortable ways of behaving so that you can say yes to some new, more powerful ways of showing up in the world. Right. For some people, the questions in the coaching habit are easy change. Maybe that's you, Andrew. You're like, you know what? I was always wired like this. I love, this is just a codification of something I always believed. So I've got it. I've downloaded the app and I'm sorted and I love it. Other people are like, ah, I keep downloading the app and it just keeps blinking out on me. So that's where you're like, for me to be curious longer, I need to figure out how to tame my advice monster. Because that's mm -hmm. the metaphor we go with around if this is hard change for you, what you're, what you're committing to is, is how do I tame my advice monster? And that's mm -hmm. what we get into in the book. And I will tell you, um, my the response that I had to the uh, to the book and how it's manifested and and you say that it might might be easy change for me it has it is not necessarily because I I mean I've been a student of leadership I lo I love leader development I have for you know you know many years and like you I've got a stack of quotes books podcasts TED talks resources and everything to throw in to a conversation to say here's what you need to solve that problem and so um, staying curious a little bit longer really resonated with me. In fact, you talk about habits. Um, uh, the habit share app is something I've downloaded recently. And one nice. of them on there is, you know, did I be, be more curious, advise less every day. So oh, I, when I go to bed, I say, did it, did, was I more curious that I advise less uh, today? 
fantastic. Yeah, and so to get kind of get that change because it is hard. I mean, it's it is hard yeah. to keep that answer within you because it's, oh, it's, it's a perfect situation. You know, I've got it, you know. Well, let, let me tell you the three reasons why people might consider slowing down on the advice. Mm -hmm. Here's the first thing. You're probably trying to solve the wrong problem. So one of the key insights, and we go into this in more detail in the new book, is to say, look, the first challenge somebody comes to you is almost never the real challenge. Mm -hmm. It's their best guess. It's a stab in the dark. It's an early hypothesis. Mm -hmm. It's a loose collection of, of inaccurate data. Mm -hmm. But the first challenge is almost never the real challenge. So even if you're coming with brilliant ideas, you're probably solving the wrong problem. Right, right. But even if, miraculously, somehow they've come and there's this, they've perfectly articulated what the real challenge is. Well, the second thing is your advice actually isn't as good as you think it is. I mean, yeah, you've read the books and you've seen the TED Talks and you've got the quotes. But actually, there's just this vast research kind of centered around cognitive biases that mean that your brain is telling you how good your advice is and it's actually not that good. Uh -huh. It's just trying to make you feel better about it. And that is particularly true if you think you give good advice. <laughs> you know, the more you think you give good advice, it's like, oh, yeah. And you're, you probably think your driving is above average as well. It's the same exactly. kind of trap that we fall into. Exactly. But let's say miraculously, and I, you know, I don't believe this for a minute, but let's believe if somehow you figure out the right challenge and you're like, this is the hard thing that we've got to solve. And actually, you have this brilliant idea. It's, it's almost perfect. It's mm -hmm. like it's a... It's a nugget of gold. It's a pearl of wisdom. The third way that advice can still get in your way is it's like it's not the right leadership act because you face this moment, this choice to say, is the bigger win for this to be solved by me with the best idea or is a bigger win for this to be solved by them for an idea that's probably good enough even if it's not quite as brilliant as my idea? Wow. Now, you know, there are moments where you solving it fast with the brilliant idea is the right act. Yeah, yeah. Just not as often as you think. Uh -huh. And if you went on the assumption that your role as a leader is not to be the person who gives the fast wrong answer, but to be the person who has the discipline to find the real challenge to be working on, then everything changes. Your relationship changes, your, what, you're, what you're valued as changes because the way you become a more senior leader and a more senior military leader is you become better at strategy. And what that means is you become better at, at helping to figure out what's the real issue, where do we need to put our time and our effort because the more senior you become in the ranks as in life, just the more complex everything gets. Like you have less control, less data, a bigger picture, everything's more ambiguous. And you've got to have a discipline to say, how do we figure out what the real thing is here? Oh, that's, that is fantastic. We, uh, I really love that, um, the, way, the way you put that, that the most important process there is not you giving the answer, is it someone else discovering it really on their own? Yeah, yeah exactly. And just to keep reiterating it, it's like because there's some people who keep wanting to go, yeah, but it, but there's a place for advice. I'm like, there is absolutely a place for advice. I'm mm -hmm. just saying, can you slow down the rush to give advice? Can you stay curious just a little bit longer? And I'm not talking a day and a half. I'm not talking an hour and a half. I'm talking, can you make it a three-minute longer conversation with a few good questions and just see where that takes you? 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you, and, and you, I've heard you say before that uh, if you don't have uh, 10 minutes to coach, then you don't need to be coaching or something like that. This yeah, is a well, short thing, right? Well, for me, I mean, you know, when at the start of this conversation, we were talking about the power of unweirding coaching mm-hmm. and making people go, oh, you're, you're just, it's just making it, reminding me that it's an everyday normal conversation. It's a way of showing up with somebody. It's not some sort of magical black box thing that only people who wear pastels or did an HR course are able to do. It's like, no, it's just a way of showing up with people. Right. But in an attempt to remove the barriers to coaching, the biggest barrier that comes up is I don't have time for this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, literally or metaphorically, people are firing at us. We don't have time for questions and answer. I just need to tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. And obviously sometimes that's right. And you know, you, you'll have picked up my message here, which is like, just just see if you can find more opportunities to do this. But one of the ways of removing one of the barriers to coaching is to say, if you can't coach in 10 minutes or less, you do not have time to coach. Mm-hmm. Because I put money on this, in the military, just like in, organi- in, in kind of corporate life, nobody has time for a 30-minute chat. I mean, sure, occasionally you can mm-hmm. take them under the oak tree and have that conversation. But as a day-to-day leadership activity, nobody has time for that they've got 700 people reporting to them you know up in washington state they're like i can't sit down for a 30 minute chat with everybody once a week mm-hmm. i would never sleep again and i still wouldn't get through with everybody it's like right. no it's fast i mean just like the made-up conversation where i pretended to have a conversation with you it's like it's done in three minutes mm-hmm. but right. it was led by curiosity that took us in an interesting place you felt empowered you felt smarter mm-hmm. um maybe <laughs> i don't yes. know yeah yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, I have to say, what about this doing a live tour with the podcast through military bases? Is that not a good idea? No, that you said that that, that absolutely resonates. I'd have to take off from my current job and see if see if my boss would you know let me go around in that. But that's a, I, I, that's one of the reasons. So you hit on one of the reasons of the the podcast here is to have conversations with leaders that are doing amazing things around uh, the the army and the military that we might not otherwise hear beyond the bounds of their the yeah. unit you know yeah um and and you know there's a little bit of a i mean I, i've kind of struggled with this in building the you know the, the military leader as a brand you know it's not I, I didn't i didn't put my name on on this it is the military leader and i have left my name off of the website because i didn't want people to associate uh, there, there's a there's a there's a fear of I guess um, um, you know spotlighting boasting kind of a, a thing out there in the military and so you, you're given a group to lead and you and you stick to that group you don't want to draw a lot of attention outside of your circle so a lot of times the talent the magic that is happening in groups around the military yeah. is isolated in pockets and so by doing this I get to expose yeah. that and, and you know show people what's what going on. You know, there's. A, I don't know if you ever heard the quote. Uh, the future's already here. It's just unevenly distributed. Oh no. Uh-uh. Yeah. Okay. So the future of the American military is already existent. It's just. It's just not everywhere yet. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, I'm fine. I'm finding and showing what leadership will look like in ten to twenty years because it's already there in pockets. We just need to have more people know about it. Okay. A, it's a powerful call, like you're serving a bigger, a bigger vision there. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it taps into some well-understood approaches to change management. So one of the, the approach that this brings to mind for me is something called appreciative 
the positive deviance is related to something called appreciative inquiry, which is about amplifying the good. Mm-hmm. But positive deviance actually has its roots in the, the NGO world. And uh, it, it, came, it, it has the insight that whenever there's some, something and it's not going quite right, there are always some people who, even though they have access to the same resources as everybody else, are somehow thriving while others struggle. Mm. You know, the starting point for this, started by a guy called Jerry Sternen, was um, a child malnourishment in, I think, Vietnam. Mm. And he went around and he was measuring weighing kids in villages. And, like, some of them were not malnourished. Everybody else was, but some kids just had sorted it out. And when he interviewed the parents, he found that they were just doing some things differently. They were feeding them differently on a different schedule and a broader understanding of what the food was and the dads were involved. doesn't really matter because what he then did is he got the positive deviance to teach the other people in the village. And what that does is it stops the response you get when you bring in an external solution, which is to resist it. Because that's what mm-hmm. systems do. That's not a military thing. That's a systems thing. Mm-hmm. You push in an external si- uh, solution, the system pushes back because it's like, I like homeostasis. I don't want to change a thing. Mm-hmm. What you're potentially doing is this, like, I'm finding the positive deviance, right? This is how different people are doing leadership differently in this, in this organization. And I'm finding a way for us to teach ourselves the future that some of us have already arrived at. Oh yeah. Right. Right. Through, through exposure across boundaries and yeah. 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 No, that's fantastic. Um, Okay. So speaking of uh, improving as, you know, leaders kind of in your own organization here, we we have a lot of folks listening who are on their own journey. They are, they're looking forward to the next, you know, uh, level, next job, next rank. They're figuring it out right now. They've got teams. And they want to be more coach-like. So they, they hear now that there's a, there's a great book called The Coaching Habit. They know that there's yeah. seven, we haven't gone into the, all the seven questions. You know, it starts with what's on your mind. Yeah. And it goes on. You really got to read the book. Um, but so they're about to make this threshold uh, you know, break and become more coach-like. Is there anything that they need? That, what can we do to prepare ourselves? Maybe, yeah. some, maybe some self-analysis or um, self-awareness. You mentioned being more cognitively aware of yourself. How can we prepare to be more coach-like? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, so one option, uh, you know, where, as you said, the, this new book's coming out at the end of February, February the 29th, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is exactly four years to the day that the coaching habit came out. Because I was like, I put the coaching habit book out on February the 29th because I, like, I don't know how many this will sell, but it means that in four years' time I can say it's the first birthday and, I'll see, and I can kind of fudge the numbers. So it's That's like, right. On leap year, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, in, in the new book um, and at theadvicetrap.com, there will be a questionnaire people can take to actually find out which of the three different advice monster personas there mm-hmm. is kind of strongest for them. Is it okay. tell it? The kind of I've got to have the answers. Is it save it, which is like, I've got to be responsible for everybody and rescue everybody. Is it control it, meaning I've got to make sure I've got my fingers in every single pie. I'm, I'm on top of absolutely everything all the time. Okay. Because I do think the first step to trying to be more curious is just start noticing just how much advice you give. Huh. It's like how much you want to give it. Just as soon as somebody starts talking and you're like, oh, oh, look at that. I think I know the answer here. So uh-huh. what if I just, you know, slow down? that need to offer up the answer. Uh-huh. And what I'd suggest is that it's often helpful just to start small. I mean, 
don't try and memorize the seven questions. I mean, you can just look, you know, Google the seven questions from the coaching habit, and there's all sorts of articles written about it. Um, you know, pick a question that feels useful for you. It could be, you know, what's on your mind. It could be what was most useful here. It could be what's the real challenge here for you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. But pick a question, pick a situation where you find yourself giving advice more than you'd like and go, let me try and work this. I mean, you talked about your habit app. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's a thousand small ways to build this new habit. And the starting point is a deliberate choice to say, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to track it. And I'm going to be a little more conscious and aware of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and recognizing the triggers, right? I think you talk about triggers in the book right. there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if people, in, in the, if people want to get into the habit piece, if you go to thecoachinghabit.com, you can download the first, I think it's three or four chapters of the coaching habit book. It's like the first third. Mm-hmm. And the very first chapter of that is all about um, habit building. It's mm-hmm. like me taking smart people who've written about habits and trying to put it into a single kind of package. And uh, just, you know, just grab that mm-hmm. and um, read that. If it's, it takes you 20 minutes, it's, a, it's not very many pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might set you up to go try, try, manifesting and deliberately starting a new habit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um that uh there's it seems like a big step and unweirding coaching i think is is the exact word that's the exact thing for it. but recognizing that we really do speak a whole lot more than we listen and we and we get and we impart right and quotes really impart a whole lot more uh than we draw out of uh people i think is a great place to start Exactly. Yeah. I like the way that the, um, I'm fortunate to have the copy of the advice trap, um, you know, ahead of time and, and, uh, you know, Marlene hooked me up with it there and, and that's, uh, you really lay it out real well about how, you know, how that happens. Um, so, um, if you don't mind, let me ask you, what about people who work for bosses who have no interest in being coach? Like how do we inspire up the, up the chain there? Yeah. It's a really worthwhile question to ask is this a battle worth fighting because sometimes it's not sometimes mm-hmm. you're like i'm not going to get the support i need in this way from this person mm-hmm. me trying to change them just ain't going to work mm-hmm. part of the power of the the drama triangle as a model and it's a little easy to forget so that's why i'm bringing it up is to realize that it is a self-management tool so here's the gift of a nightmare boss you get to spend a whole lot of time practicing getting out of the drama triangle. Mm-hmm. I, I know that. I mean, I've walked this path. I've had bosses where I'm like, oh, you're just, you're just, you're just, you're just perpetually in persecutor mode. I mean, I just, I remember working for a boss once and I'm like, if I'm not playing victim mode, I'm playing rescuer mode because she is just in persecutor mode. And I'm just bouncing around that. Mm-hmm. And it was hard. And, you know, I ended up getting fired from that job, um, which was you know a good thing in the end. Um, but it taught me a lot about um, ownership and going, well, what can I do? You know, in a space like this, what do I want? Which is like the question that often unlocks the, the drama triangle. What do I want? What do I really want here? Because once you know what you want, options for action start showing up for you. Kind of what mm-hmm. do you want kind of grounds you and gives you a, a solid place for to move and to move into action. So okay. like – if you have a terrible boss, it, you just may not, you just may just need to go, how do I endure this boss? What mm-hmm. external support do I get? How do I find different ways of finding the resilience 
to go, what can I learn from this? How, how do I navigate this? How do I get sucked into the drama triangle less rather than more? And go, this is how you get stronger. You have, a, you have occasional moments that suck. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm and, like, and leave a copy of the- to everybody listening who goes, yeah, but you should see my boss. And I'm like, no, I don't know your boss exactly, but I probably have a sense of who she or he is. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, Are you talking about your boss? No, I'm kidding. Greg. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they, but the military has gone through this uh, about a 10 year struggle with toxic leadership, you know, that, yeah. that caught on. And now we refer to it as counterproductive leadership. Right. Um, and, and it's a doctrinal term that, that we have in the leadership manual as something to, uh, you know, to, to avoid and to, uh, you know, to discourage and, and teach out of the, you know, teach people away from. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference from having a bad boss and having a toxic boss. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's worth putting those apart. Some people are just, you know, you can find yourself reporting into somebody who's just not a good leader, who doesn't know how to ask questions, who isn't about empowering others, who is got their own, you know, their own agenda and their own kind of limitations. They're not toxic necessarily. They're just a terrible leader. Mm-hmm. Um, that's different from toxic leadership or counterproductive leadership, in which case it's probably other forums for people to go, this is how this needs to get recognized and processed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Um, as I was discussing this uh, recently and, and kind of prepping for this interview, which I've told a lot of people about, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm fired up for this conversation. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we were, um, a friend of mine made the point that the, the, the feedback that, um, teammates, followers, subordinates, fellow leaders give, um, particularly in combat, um, takes on so much m- more importance, you know, and, and if those, if that team doesn't have the, they don't have the notion to give that feedback to a leader who needs to hear it, there could right. be lives at stake and there could be serious consequences, right. which is why this dynamic is so important to, to establish in a culture. Look, one of the best tools out there is the after action review. That's mm-hmm. U.S. military, right? And to have the discipline to learn from an experience and to do it in a way that surfaces what needs to be said, but to do it in a way that it gets processed in a way that's healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, at its best, the after action review is just unbeatable as a tool. It's it's hard to have the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. Uh, so, Michael, do we do folks need to read the coaching habit before the advice trap? <laughs> Uh, and, no. and I'll recommend both. So, you know, no, you, can, you can say, um, okay. in, in the advice trap, I do do a kind of five page or maybe 10 page summary wrap up of yeah, the yeah. essence of the coaching habit. Mm-hmm. So you'll get a taste of the coaching habit by reading the advice trap. You, you miss all my awesome jokes that are in the, the coaching habit if you don't read it, but that's, right. that's your choice. Right. Right. Good. And just to be clear, like I'm, if you're a reader and you're like, but I don't know if I want to buy this book, it's like download the first third of it at the website, find a library and borrow it from a library. I, you don't need to, I'm less excited whether you need to buy it. I would love you to try and read it though. Oh, oh, it's, and it's an easy read. I'll tell everybody, uh, it is one of, it's one of the most, um, poignantly and concisely written, uh, but powerful books uh, that, that I have on the shelf, hands down. It's an easy okay. read for sure. Uh, I, I worked really hard to write the shortest book I could that was still useful. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Which is the goal of editing, right? That's that's how, what we try to get down to. 
Um, well, good. Well, I want to um, I want to ask you if you could inject uh, one personal value, a trait, a leadership quality into every uh, army or military leader listening right now. What would it be? Well, um, I'll, I'll try and answer that indirectly because you know I I can't claim to have knowledge about what what's needed across that broader sense. But here's a question that's really helping me in the transition away from being the CEO to the, the new woman who's taken on the role of CEO at Boxer Crayons. Mm. And founder-led transi- founder transitions, you know, when a founder steps away and somebody steps into the role, just fail all the time. Like it's like a 90% failure rate. It's hard. Right. right. Because founders are, you know, prima donnas who are giving up their child and, you know, they're too much control or whatever. So Shannon and I have a question that we ask most of the time after we meet, and it is what needs to be said that hasn't been said? What needs to be said that hasn't been said? And I have just found that a really powerful question to encourage me to say the hard things or say the small things that I might otherwise step over. Because, like, I don't like conflict that much. Right, right. So I'm like, ah, oh, she's great and I'm great and we're great, so let's just let's just ignore the little kind of rumblings down there and hope that they go away. But but what needs to be said that hasn't been said has opened up a level of kind of candor between us that has strengthened the relationship and uh, developed the, deepened the trust between us. Because I'm like, we're not going to step over the stuff that matters. Uh, Okay. Okay. So for, for, for leaders out there to, to, to learn how to not step around the unsaid, I guess, and to face that, yeah. And to, well, to, to, to possibly go, can you make the invitation? <laughs> because then you both get to say it and you both get to, you're also signaling in by asking the question that you're committed to a relationship beyond just the outcome of the, the mm-hmm. tactical stuff that's going on. What needs to be said that hasn't been said says this working relationship between you and me is important and I want it to be resilient and have the, the longest life it can. Mm-hmm. So that means we get to talk about the stuff that would otherwise undermine the relationship. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, Michael, I, in light of that, I would I will say that there is so much that is unsaid here because we could talk for another hour um, and it's flown by and I, and I, I thank you so much. I want to give you an opportunity to, um, to say any, any more about either uh, the coaching habit, your website, Box of Crayons, Advice Trapped, anything you want to throw out there or how people can connect with you. You know, um, I'm uh, the, the umbrella website, which is relatively new, is mbs.works, mbs.works. Okay. Okay. And uh, when you go there, you'll see stuff about the books, other bits and pieces. I've got a new video series that I'm just starting off called My Best Question, and I basically offer up a new little video every morning, which is like, here's a question that you know might be useful. Take it, okay. use it, ignore it, whatever. Okay. Um, but sure, come and hang out with me at mbs. Works and, and take it from there. Okay. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Um, I got to tell you, um, your work matters. Uh, it's made an impact on me uh, and those that uh, I've associated with. I've given this book um, I, 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 many times. I can't count how many times I've given it away. It's a perfect uh, change of command promotion book. Um, so I want to thank you for that work and for everything you're doing. And thank you for taking the time um, out of your day. It's a, it's, a, it's a busy season for you with the book launch and the TED Talk. Uh, but the fact that you come in here and speak to the military leader audience uh, means a lot to me and to us. So thank you so much for that. My pleasure.
I hope you enjoyed this episode with Michael Bungay-Stanier. What was most powerful for me was how relevant his coaching approach is for military leaders. Sure, some would say that leadership is leadership no matter what profession you're in, but it's hard to ignore that the military places unique demands on its leaders, especially in combat. I appreciate how powerful it can be to adopt a mindset of staying curious just a little bit longer, even in tough situations, because the breakthrough insight might be just ahead if you keep listening. I want to thank you for listening today. You know, I've received some kind feedback lately about how leaders appreciate the podcast, and I'm so glad that it adds to your development as a leader and for your team. And if you found this episode helpful, I encourage you to share it with your team and help get the word out. Don't forget to grab a copy of Michael's books, The Coaching Habit and The Advice Trap. The links are in the show notes and on themilitaryleader.com. I want to thank Dave Ware and Matt Lensing for preparing for this conversation and creating this episode. And remember, the views expressed here do not represent the Department of Defense or U.S. government in any way. Thanks for listening and lead well.